And I think it's very privileged of us and a little out of touch when people are like, you know, if it matters, you make the time, you know, and I see a lot of personal trainers do that. You know, you make time for the things that matter. And it's not a matter of having time. It's time management. You have the time. And it's like, wow, like how out of touch can you be? Because even if I have the time, it doesn't mean I have the capacity. So if I get home from work and I have an hour before my kids get home or or my kids are home and dinner is done and whatever and it's eight o'clock and yeah, I guess I could go to the gym, but if I'm exhausted because I was up at five o'clock in the morning to get to my job and I worked a full day stressed out and whatever, and maybe I'm tending to a sick parent on, on days and maybe I have a lot going on and maybe it's a pandemic and I'm stressed and my kids are high needs or whatever. I don't want to go to the gym at eight o'clock at night. I don't want to go spend an hour moving my body in that way. So to say you have the time, that's so out of touch. People might have the time, but again, time doesn't mean capacity. So I think we need to just be sensitive. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. I'm really excited to bring to you over the three next episodes, a three-part series talking about nutrition. We're going to be talking about diet culture and what that is. HAZE, which stands for Health at Every Size Movement and what that means. And we're also going to be talking about intuitive eating. So for the first two episodes, I'm going to be talking with Rachel Tuckman, who is a licensed mental health counselor who is HAZE aligned. And then for the third episode, I'm going to be talking with Rachel Goodman, who is a registered dietitian and her practice focuses on helping women achieve a healthy relationship with food. And... As you all can imagine, those of you who are pregnant or have been pregnant, postpartum, etc., there is a major emphasis um, on weight by the medical community and also by our society. And there's a lot of unhealthy overemphasis on weight and the relationship that weight has with health. A lot of misconceptions around it, and we're going to be discussing how it causes much more harm than good. I hope that the next three episodes can bring peace to those of you who are struggling with your relationship with food. And when I say struggling with your relationship with food, I don't only mean a diagnosed severe eating disorder. Living in today's society as women, a lot of us have developed an unhealthy relationship with food because of such an emphasis on weight and on diet and on how we look. So I really hope that it can bring a lot of you peace and clarity. Before we start, I wanted to remind all of you that January 16th, this Sunday, is the launch of your Ledet community. And 
I am offering up until January 31st a free 90-day membership for anyone that signs up to my email list. You will be a founding member of Yolanda community, which means that you get the perks of having more personalized attention from me. I have so many topics up on the forum already in Yolanda community, but it's not just going to be a forum. You're going to have the ability to contact people through private messaging if you see someone that you feel you connect to that's going through the same thing as you. I'm also going to be there really active on the forums and clarifying any medical information that you may have heard, making sure that everything that's presented on the forums is accurate. I am here always to provide evidence-based scientific information. I always verify my information with ACOG, AWAN. Those are the premier associations that set forth the guidelines for practice based on the research literature that's out there. And this is what is going to distinguish Yolanda community from a lot of these mommy Facebook groups where everyone is putting out whatever they feel like putting out. And whether it's junk science or real stuff, you don't know. And you have people giving each other advice that's not necessarily safe or that's not necessarily sound. I'm going to be there making sure that none of that happens. I'm also going to be there moderating the forums to make sure that it is a positive, uplifting environment. And I'm also going to be doing a bi-monthly live Q&A session. It's going to happen over a virtual platform for now where members are going to be able to join in on this session and ask your questions, get answers from me. You'll be able to ask the questions either privately or during the actual live session. And you can think of Yolanda community as a place where you're going to get the prenatal education, the childbirth education, the postpartum education, newborn care, even through the first year for now, and maybe we'll expand to more than that. You can think of it as that, but more personalized. So you're going to be learning things. I'm going to be posting things. I'm going to be posting resources, and we're going to be talking about product recommendations. You can think of it as a non-traditional way for you to get your education. Some people love a course, and they do great with a course, and other people have a different learning style where they like to just ask questions, read information. So this is going to be that kind of method of getting your information. And it's going to be different from a social media account or from a mommy Facebook group because A, you don't have to have Facebook in order to participate in this community. And B, the information I'm going to be tailored for the needs of the members. When you sign up as a Yolanda community member, you're going to get a survey that's going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, personalized questions about you so that I can make sure that I'm meeting your needs. And there's also a section for you to just tell me any specific topics and things that you're dealing with that you would like to get more information about. Being a founding member has this benefit of, first of all, you're going to have 90 days of free membership where I'm not going to be offering that again. I am going to be offering occasional free trials to your Yolanda community, but it's not going to be as long as 90 days. Another part of the benefit of being a Yolanda community member is that you're going to be receiving exclusive discounts just for me on courses that I put out and also on baby products and pregnancy products that I'm going to get from companies just for you. I highly encourage you to check it out. There's no commitment. If you cancel any time before those 90 days are up, you do not have any money that you have to pay. I also wanted to thank you guys. 
you know, last week, I don't think I had a single rating on Spotify. And then I recently checked the ratings today. And there's 24 of you that rated me. And I'm really, really grateful that all of them are five stars. That means that you're enjoying it and that I'm serving your needs. So thank you for that. Thank you so, so much. I'm really honored. It really means a lot to me. Again, if you have not rated or reviewed the podcast, if you have the capability to do so, it would mean so, so much to me. I'm going to put the links down from my website. So I hope you subscribe. I hope you check out Yolanda community and I hope I can see you there and serve you in a most personalized way and really be there at your side. And without further ado, I present to you Rachel Tuckman. I am so excited to be interviewing Rachel Tuckman today. She is a licensed mental health counselor with over 10 years of experience. She has worked with many diverse populations, including incarcerated women at Rikers Island Correctional Facility, kids and adults with developmental delays, kids with behavior issues, overwhelmed parents looking for skills and support, teens struggling with the pressures of adolescence and life in general, adults going through difficult life circumstances such as divorce, infidelity, and phase of life challenges, and women experiencing infertility. Rachel is a health at every size aligned clinician, otherwise known as HAES, and dedicates a lot of her time out of office to educating parents and kids on the importance of body respect and the behaviors that truly honor our health. Currently, she offers services in her Cedarhurst, New York office for kids and teens ages 5 through 18, adults, and women experiencing infertility, pregnancy loss, and post-hysterectomy. Rachel also does speaking engagements for schools, synagogues, and various community organizations. Wow, Rachel, you have such a huge range of experience. And I just want to say before we even start, um, it really struck a chord with me, the experience that you have treating women with not just infertility and pregnancy loss, but the post-hysterectomy. I I don't think that that gets enough attention and total side point right now about, you know, about this. We're not going to be talking about this subject in particular, but I've had patients who have had an unplanned, unfortunately, yes. hysterectomy because of bleeding um, and to save their life, they needed it. And it, it's it's a huge loss. It's yeah. really a huge, whether it's planned or not. But And it's a, a trauma on so many levels, especially when it's not planned. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's so important that we talk about it and there should be more support. Today, we're going to be talking about the health at every size concept, and especially as it relates to anyone in the perinatal phase of life. So either they are trying to get pregnant, they are pregnant already, um, or they have recently given birth, and maybe even not so recently, depending on what you call recently. I think like first two years is really recently, because that's on average how long it takes a woman's body to recover from pregnancy and birth. So we did a live once upon a very long time ago, actually one of the lives that really inspired me to start this podcast, because I felt like it was a better platform for more people to access. And then like, you can just listen to it while you're driving or cooking or anything like that without having to keep your phone on Mm -hmm. and having to stay in the uh, Instagram app. And I just am 
I have so much respect for you. You're doing such incredible work on Instagram, bringing so much awareness and attention to so many important mental health topics. And I really relate to the health at every size topic that you so often emphasize. I myself had been a yo-yo dieter. Um, and each pregnancy was really difficult for me because my body changed tremendously. I was one of those people that just gained a lot of weight. And even with one of my kids, when I was extremely restrictive with my food and like super obsessed, I gained 25 pounds. That was my lowest weight gain, which mm. is, which is, you know, I think for me, it was just evidence of the fact that my body was meant to get, you know, gain more weight than the quote unquote recommended um, amount. And I, after I gave birth also, you know, women, we love to tell women that there's this great benefit of breastfeeding, which is that you're going to lose so much weight and you get right back to your size and believing that really was harmful for me because I actually gain more weight after I had my babies and when I was breastfeeding and I felt gypped. I felt like I want a refund. Like this is not what everyone told me to do, told me what happened. And actually I've since heard from so many women that that was not their experience either. Um, So I do think that you know, I wonder if we're doing more harm than good by telling women that this is one of the benefits of breastfeeding. You know, it just makes me wonder. I don't know. There's so much change that we need to make around this whole entire topic. And unfortunately, most obstetric providers, in my experience, do not follow the principles of health at every size. They actually obsess uh, tremendously about waking during pregnancy. Many yeah. of them, they scare women, use the big baby card um, yeah. and and other, other things that they're going to get sick with, gestational diabetes and hypertension and who knows what else. Um, uh, thankfully, there are many providers and it's shifting more and more that are realizing that it's the overemphasis on weight is not helpful at all and actually doesn't correlate tremendously with sizes of babies. We have that in research and um, also doesn't tremendously like the increase is very small about the size of a child um, in comparison to the size that they were when they, uh, you know, when, when their moms gave birth to them. So like even that aside, but I wanted to talk to you about those, those pieces of it. And then I also wanted to uh, talk to you if we have time about the postpartum situation, about the comments that women get and the pressures of weight loss and bouncing back to the body that you had before pregnancy and how our culture glorifies this. And it's like the comment I just saw today, Mimi Hecht actually, um, was talking, I saw on her stories just this morning about women writing that they were complimented that they looked like they never had a baby at their baby's bris when their baby was in the NICU and they had an emergency C-section. And the reason why they lost all that weight was not for good reason. Yeah. And, and then they were being told, oh, it looks like you never had a baby. I mean, this is a woman that was at risk of losing her baby. So how much more triggering it is. And I see my own practice, a woman has a baby and she's small and her stomach goes back to like almost flat and her uterus is like all the way low. And the entire medical team is exclaiming in this like 
Wow, you look like you never had a baby. Oh, wow, look how small you are again. Right. And we perpetuate this harmful culture of weight loss and how smaller bodies are better. Yeah. And we just put that extra pressure on patients. I also have to say, this is a third point. I see that there's a lot of bias toward big people in my care practice, unfortunately, yeah. I see it all the time. A lot of disdain, condescension, not necessarily, not necessarily to the patient, but definitely, yeah. unfortunately, in conference about the patient. And a lot of times the medical team makes it about the weight, like, oh my gosh, the weight is such a huge risk factor. And, yeah. and, and you know what, there are extra um, risks and complications that are more common in bigger people that are giving birth, but we should view that as not, not with blame on them. They didn't, they weren't the ones that caused it. And yeah. it, it's, it's not, it's not their fault. And it, it's viewed though, as if they could have prevented this and they could have gained less weight and they could have been smaller. And how do they even get pregnant when they're 400 pounds and all of that stuff? Even like when I, when I admit a patient, one of the questions is, is what was your pre-pregnancy weight? So we ask them, yeah. we ask their current weight, which is important for dosing yeah. of medications. So I understand that piece. But then we ask them what their pre-pregnancy weight is. Who cares? Who, who cares how much weight they gained right now when they're in labor? Like, it's really irrelevant. Right. <laughs> like, right. I don't know why we care right now if they gained 40 kilos or who knows. We use the metric system, yeah. um, the more logical system. So. Yeah. With that, I'm going to open the floor to you. That was a lot of me talking. And let's hear everything, all the pearls of wisdom, incredible things that you have to say. Well, I guess we should just start with like defining like what health at every size is, because I think that people, when they hear that, get very like defensive and they're like, what do you mean? Like every size isn't healthy. And we're like, no, that's actually not what we're saying at all. We're saying that every person can have the opportunity to um, acquire health at any size. So you can be fat and be healthy and you can be thin and be healthy. It doesn't mean that every thin person is healthy or every fat person is unhealthy, right? And so there's basically, there's five principles to health at every size. And I think, you know, when we talk about them, I really don't know what there is to, to be against, right? So one of them is weight inclusivity. And I think that that's very important for people to um, understand again, like what this, what these things mean, but weight inclusivity just means that we are understanding that bodies are diverse and that we are not going to engage in weight stigma. We're not going to discriminate against them. We're not going to idealize or pathologize people because of their weight. So like a thin person is automatically healthy and a fat person, you know, has knee pain. And so we tell them lose weight, but a thin person has knee pain and we give them anti-inflammatories, PT. We're like, we're not mentioning their bodies, right? So we're talking about accepting the idea that bodies come in all shapes and sizes, weight inclusivity. The second one is health enhancement. And that just means we support policies that improve and equalize healthcare for all bodies. Again, so that means we understand that um, people's body shapes and sizes are also influenced very much by their economic situation, by their social situations, by genetics, by so many different things. Um, respectful care, 
right? Again, I don't know what anyone could be against, but we're acknowledging that there are biases and we have to end weight discrimination and weight stigma and weight bias. And we understand also that there are certain racial inequalities and, you know, looking even just at COVID, how it hit certain communities more than others. And that very much had to do with their access to medical care and their living conditions. Like it wasn't just because of, you know, oh, because they're fatter in this area, you know, no, there were actual things that were causing this pandemic to spread even more in their communities. Um, eating for well-being, right? We want to promote a balanced, varied diet. People can eat for hunger, for for satiation, for nutritional needs, for pleasure. We're not just focusing on like an eating plan for weight control, calories in, calories out, none of that. Um, and life-enhancing movement. So supporting people in finding physical activities that help them move according to their ability also, because this is something to remember. Everyone's kind of like in this, you know, just exercise. Some people don't have the ability because of physical limitations, because of injury, because of disability. So really just finding enjoyable movement that people can engage in according to their ability, according to their time and whatever it is. Um, and I think it's very privileged of us and a little out of touch when people are like, you know, if it matters, you make the time, you know, and I see a lot of like personal trainers do that a lot. Um, like, you know, you make time for the things that matter and it's not a matter of having time. It's time management. You have the time. And it's like, wow, like how out of touch can you be? Because even if I have the time, it doesn't mean I have the capacity. So if I get home from work and I have an hour before my kids get home or or my kids are home and dinner is done and whatever, and it's eight o'clock and yeah, I guess I could go to the gym, but if I'm exhausted because I was up at five o'clock in the morning to get to my job and I worked a full day stressed out and whatever, and maybe I'm tending to a sick parent, you know, on, on days and maybe I have a lot going on and maybe it's a pandemic and I'm stressed and my kids are high needs or what. I don't want to go to the gym at eight o'clock at night. I don't want to go spend an hour moving my body in that way. So to say like you have the time that's so out of touch, people might have the time, but again, time doesn't mean capacity. So I think we need to just be sensitive in the things that we like think people are able to do or are not able to do. Um, and I think, you know, haze is really just a way haze is health at every size. So that's the acronym haze. Oh, I um, didn't know that that they actually yeah, say haze. they call okay. it haze. Um, so haze is just like creating that awareness, that sensitivity of like, yes, everybody should have the opportunity or can have the ability to be healthy. It doesn't mean that everybody is healthy. And again, you can have chronic illness and not be able to achieve health. You can have so there's so many different things that could get in the way of health. So we have to understand also that like telling people that like if you just do X, Y and Z, you'll be healthy. That ignores so many different things that get in the way of health, mental illness, you know, um, so many, so many factors that could influence someone's health, socioeconomic, racial inequalities, you know, anything, cancer. Um, so I think the fact that we that we think that health is like so simple, again, I think people need to kind of be brought down to this planet and say, a, it's not a moral imperative. Nobody owes anybody their health. And if someone chooses not to be like engaging in healthy behaviors, like that's not your business. Like that's for them to decide. Obviously, we want people to be motivated to care about their health. And that's where weight stigma will come in. We'll talk about that, how it influences that desire. But we can't force people and shaming them 
is never going to make them care about their health. It's never, we know shame doesn't work for anything. It doesn't make people want to be more loving or do their homework or achieve a goal. It makes them feel bad about themselves and it makes them not want to do things, you know? So I think we need to remember also like shame gets us nowhere. It doesn't help. And so we need to stop doing that. The piece that you just mentioned about nobody owes anybody their health. I have to say it made me think of the medical community, a lot of times there is resentment against people who are big because, oh, we have to care for them. We have to do extra things maybe to take care of them. But let me tell you, we have to give non-judgmental care to literally every person that makes decisions that are not good, like people who get sexually transmitted infections because they were not behaving in protection that they should have or people who are using drugs or whatever it is like we we're so much more compassionate with them like we give them the non-judgmental care i'm not saying everyone gives them non-judgmental care but i think that there's more acceptance over providing non-judgmental care to people who may have made other choices that were not the healthiest yeah but i don't know for big people it's really it, it it really is not as tolerated No. And there's actually research that they've done where they look at attitudes of doctors, of medical care providers, like towards fat people. And they admit that they are more likely to believe that they are lazy, that they have bad habits, that they don't exercise without even speaking to them. They just assume things about them. And doctors are admitting this. It's not like they're like, no, they're saying, yeah, when I walk in a room and I see a fat person, I do assume that they're not caring about their health. And that's very scary. And then we wonder, why don't fat people take care of themselves? Why don't they go to the doctor? Because if every time you go, let's say you are a person who runs marathons and you have this balanced diet and you care about your health, but you're in a bigger body and you're in a bigger body, not but, and you're in a bigger body. And then you walk in the room and you're, you come because, you know, you have arthritis and the doctor's like, well, you know, maybe you should cut back on X, Y, and Z, you know, no process this and no white flour. And you need to exercise more. And you're like, I literally run marathons and like I take care of my body and I swim and I, but I'm having this inflammation and I just need you to like adjust my medication or help me find some other, right? It hurts. And so they don't want to go back because there's assumptions and they don't listen by the way either. And this is something people in bigger bodies say, I can promise up and down. Like, do you want to hear what I ate today? Do you want to hear how I move? Like, and doctors don't believe them. And that's really scary. And there's actually like a a really disturbing study that I saw. um, I think it's from 2020. So it's not even so long ago. And it was talking about how uh, how health professionals treatment decisions are influenced by patients' weight. And it was and showing like weight stigma. And they were looking at... um, people who had migraines. And I think I actually shared this study on my page once, but they looked at people with like average weight, right? So their BMI was whatever, you know, in the average weight and then higher weight. So they were considered obese. And I'm putting that in, in, you know, quotations because I don't like the word. I obese. hate it's that word. Yeah. It's really just not a helpful word. Even um, more so morbidly obese. Right. Horrible. <sighs> and I don't understand also how the medical profession doesn't look and see like how those, how those words are influencing how they're see- morbidly obese. Like how can I not judge someone when I literally am saying you're going to die because of your body, right? Your body is killing you, right? But they took healthcare professionals and they assigned them to review these clinical patient files that were like, you know, they made these um, fictional patients. 
and they had average weight and higher weight. And they asked the doctors to make diagnostic recommendations for the patient. Um, and this migraine was what they chose. And they found that the doctors that were looking at higher weight patients, before they got to anything, before they got to any recommendation, they would recommend weight loss first dietary changes, blah, 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 right? And when they were looking at the average weight person, they prescribed pain pills, a referral to a neurologist, um, checking their blood hormone levels, a visual screen, an eye test, an MRI. They didn't do any of that until like way at the end. So for the bigger bodies, they were checking their cholesterol, their triglycerides, they, their glucose level, their body fat percentage, dietary intake, how much are you exercising? And then they were like, and nutrition, right? And then they're like, oh, okay, so what about, okay, we can look at pain pills. Oh, a neurologist, oh, an MRI, right? And so we know stories, we hear stories. I'm sure you've heard stories. I've read stories of people who go into doctors and they're having pain or they're having headaches. And instead of being treated for it, they're being treated for their fatness. And then it turns out I had a brain tumor, you know, or I had some kind of serious medical issue that was overlooked because all they could see was my body. And I'm sure when pregnant women come in, and by the way, I've heard this from pregnant women too, or women with infertility, they come mm -hmm. in struggling. I can't have a baby. I keep losing my pregnancies. If you're in a small body, and I know, by the way, I went through infertility and I was in a small body. I was never once asked about my dietary behavior, my exercise. It was just like unexplained secondary infertility, Rachel, will help you. I know that people that have the same diagnosis that I have were recommended first, well, you should lose weight. You should go on a diet, which we know, by the way, is not helpful for fertility to be restricting. On the contrary, you should be taking care of your body even more so. So you should be adding in more nutrient dense foods. You should be exercising moderately, not going crazy, but you should be moving and, and doing things to take care of your body, reducing stress, sleeping. Right. So it's so hurtful when a woman comes in for a fertility related issue or a pregnancy issue or pregnancy loss. And she's told, well, your body is the reason that this is happening. Your body is putting your baby in danger. What a horrendous thing to say to someone, you know? And again, that's not ethical medical care. How can you tell someone to pursue weight loss when all the evidence that we see, all the evidence we know, all the research is showing us, and by the way, not just a paper from 1950, papers now that are looking at the evidence over the past 40 years, weight loss is not a sustainable, healthy, option for people that improves their health in any way. So yeah, they lose weight in the short term, but they end up yo-yo dieting or it causes disordered eating or eating disorders. And we know that yo-yo dieting is poor, is has worth, worse health outcomes than being in a fat body. So telling people to lose weight does nothing for them and it just makes them upset and it just hurts them and it raises their cortisol levels and it causes inflammation in their bodies. And they say, you know what? screw it, I'm never coming back here again. And then we know that there are worse health outcomes for people like that. So then when the pregnant woman comes back, how many months later and has all kinds of issues and they're like, oh, cause it's a fat pregnancy. When in reality, it's like, no, she had those issues early on, but she was so scared to come to you that she left it. And so that's why the health outcomes for fat people are worse because they don't come when they should. The skinny person, the thin person, the acceptable person will come the minute there's like a little, you know, oh, I feel something. I don't feel so great. Let me check it out. The fat person will wait until literally they're on death's door or something terrible is happening. They'll wait to get that help. So, yeah, they do have higher hospitalization rates. Yes. Yes. But it's not because they're fat. It's because of weight stigma. You know, yeah, they do have poor health outcomes. Yes. Not because they're fat, because of weight stigma. And I think that medical professionals need to acknowledge that and they need to just say, 
It's not so crazy that we just have to give them better care. We have to say, regardless of your body, it doesn't matter. You deserve better care. Fat women who are pregnant, thin women who are pregnant, don't assume things about people and understand that when you do, you're hurting them. And I think we have to, you know, it's scary for people to kind of like look at their bias and admit that maybe they've been wrong. Um, and that was like very hard for me when I was learning about like diet culture and, you know, and, and the things that like I believed about fat bodies, it was like pretty alarming for me, but I was like open to learning, you know, and I knew that I never wanted to like cause any harm to my clients who come in struggling with body image or feeling uncomfortable in their skin or, you know, young kids who are struggling with this stuff. Like I never wanted to be the person to perpetuate, you know, that fix your body, fix your life mentality. Um, and so I think it's it's so important for us to realize like healthcare providers just need to, to care for all kinds of bodies. They need to stop assuming things. They need to ask questions, right? And if you do feel like weight is a factor in some of the health issues that, you're, that your patient is showing, which it's very possible, we're not gonna say weight is never a factor, but if it is, you need to be sensitive in how you speak to them. Hey, can tell me a little bit about your daily habits. Like, what do you, you know, are, what kind of exercise do you do, if any? Are you able to exercise? That's a really important question. Don't tell your clients, exercise. Because like I said earlier, if you come home at the end of a long day, you're working two shifts, you have a special needs kid, you have a high, you have a, a kid who just has behavior issues, or you just have kids who need you and you have a spouse or you're a single mom or you're, you don't have time for this. So doctors need to ask, is this something that you can work into your schedule? Does, is that possible for you? What about like food wise? You know, what do you have access to? Is it possible for you to like get to a supermarket? Again, maybe you know, we, there's a lot of privilege and like fresh fruits and vegetables, only shop the outer perimeter. Like, sorry, if I get home and it's, you know, an hour before my next shift or I'm exhausted or I don't have the money or I don't have the means, like it's going to be a microwave dinner. It's going to be a canned something. It's going to be a processed something. And again, I think we need to focus less on like the source of the food and just like how we're feeling when we're eating the food. Are we sitting down with our kids? Are we able to have a conversation with them? Are we yelling at them to don't eat that? You had too much of that. But that has more of an impact on our health than whether or not you have canned mushrooms or, you know, fish sticks for dinner. So I think that's that's something that we need to be aware of. Our beliefs about food, our beliefs about bodies, and maybe challenging them, being open to challenging them and saying like, hey, maybe I've been wrong about this all this time. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Your Wedded Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.